Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. As sportswomen and conservationists, we do more than hunt and fish. The complete sportswoman can skin a deer, land a burly trout, navigate in the wild, and she knows her game commissioners and politicians, knows wildlife laws, defends all wildlife, advocates on their behalf, and teaches others these skills. Artemis embodies the definition of the complete sportswoman and sees it as our duty to use our platform to promote and teach this philosophy. Do you have or want these skills in this network? Visit artemis.nwf.org and join us today. And thank you for protecting our wild world. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and we are joined again today by co-host Sarah Top. Hi, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. So excited to have you back. How's Michigan? Oh, Michigan is hot today, um, but beautiful as always. Nice. Uh, and as we've discussed already, our guest today is Sarah Camicione. Um, Hi, Sarah. It's delightful Hello. to have you here. I'm happy to be here. And we are going to troubleshoot um, having two Sarahs on the podcast, and I look forward to the creative ways we do that as we move along. <laughs> Super excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, see, you are a new transplant to Montana, not too far from me. How are you liking your new state? Um, it is, I, I mean, like it leaves me speechless. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's pretty much everything I've ever wanted in terms of recreation um, and lifestyle blended together while still being able to run my business. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And everyone's like, well, wait till you're here for a Montana winter. And I'm just like, you know what? Bring the winter, like, mm -hmm. give me the winter. Like I'll, I'll, I'll gladly take a winner for everything else that it provides, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I, I love it. Excellent. Well, I'm excited you're here and I look forward to spending some time with you. Me too, neighbor. Neighbor. We're going to have so much fun. Sarah, Sarah Top <laughs> needs to come and join us in some of that fun. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'd be happy to. Things are drawing me west every day, I swear. Yeah. Um, I'll keep the guest bed warm. You just tell me when. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, Sarah C., tell us a little bit about who you are. Wow. Who, <laughs> who am I? Um, I, the biggest thing, you know, that is a focus on the conversation today is obviously, um, I run a business called find your strong with Sarah, and it is a fitness and nutrition coaching business for the athletic and the adventurous is my new tagline. I've kind of rebranded it over the last couple of years and the athletic and the adventurous seems to just really stick well because, my, my folks are athletic in their own capacity and they're always adventurous in their own way. So, um, I run that business, which is a huge part of my life because it's just, 
my business isn't who I am, but what I do is who I am and, you know, staying active and staying healthy and staying in the outdoors. And so that's who I am. Uh, I was born and raised in South Florida and uh, split time between there and Kansas. And that's where I really started fishing um, and developed my love for all things water sports um, before, you know, studying a whole bunch of random stuff in college, not random stuff. I've got <laughs> undergraduate, I've got undergraduate and graduate degrees that cost me a lot of money and <laughs> I love, I love them for what they are, but do nothing with them now besides run my business. Um, and you know, recently decided I was ready for a change and made a mass exodus of Colorado and landed here in, in Montana to be closer to beauty, um, good people, and a lot of to-be-determined fun, fun things. Nice. So when you started fishing, were you, did you start out as a fly fisher? I didn't, you know, I grew up, you know, in South Florida. And so we, I grew up sport fishing on boats, um, and just kind of tooling around like that. And then when I was in Kansas, I was, was like with a spin rod in the pond. So, um, I didn't start fly fishing until I came to Colorado actually, and fell in love with it there. Mm -hmm. How long were you... In Colorado. I'm just curious. Okay, so the, my train of thought is going, um, Sarah is an, a very experienced, avid angler. Um, I, 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 <laughs> how long has she been doing it? Uh, because I've been doing it for about 10 years, and I probably could fit my talent in the top of your pinky. I mean, like, your avidity. That is like <laughs> super kind of you. And I'm sure you are much better of an angler than you're giving yourself credit for. Um, I mean, I've only been fly fishing for, uh, I started fly fishing like the weekend my mom died. And that's when I went like fanatical with it. Like I just like fished compulsively as like therapy for a long time. So maybe that's why I have a leg up on someone, but I really don't think I have a leg up on anyone. Um, and so that was like six years ago. So, but you know, like I took respite from my office job after my mom passed away and I used the time away from my office to fish. Hmm. So, uh, so I mean, like I, I, I did get a lot of days on the water for, for quite a while there. So I'm grateful for that, but I'm sure you're much better than you give yourself credit for. Um, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> and like, I feel like I, I feel like I barely fish at this point, you know, like the summers are so hot. So the hot. last, you know, like I haven't been fishing in the last couple of years a ton during the summer. Cause it's like, you know, just not good juju to do it. So, mm-hmm. and then fall, um, has been completely reorganized <laughs> to hunting. <laughs> so, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us that story. Um, well, I, yeah, first of all, let me talk, let's talk a little bit about, um, the fishing season and how it's changed because you're absolutely right. Like I used to be, uh, uh, fine. What is it? A fair weather fisher where like August was my month because the water was warm, like not too warm for the fish, but warm enough for me to stand in it and not freak out. Um, uh, but you, but the hoodal restrictions were still limited as far as what rivers they were hitting and how hot the water itself was getting. Um, so I wouldn't fish until like mid July 
um, early August. And now, as you said, that's not the way things work anymore. And I've started to fish earlier and earlier in the spring. I mean, like, I won't, I won't go on a, a tirade of like global warming and like, (laughs) And like environmental <laughs> changes that are happening as I sit in like super smoky climate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I just, rem- I even remember, you know, six, seven years ago when I moved to Colorado that my fishing season was a lot longer. I wasn't getting pulled off the water because of water temperatures like I am these days. Um, and I, I mean, now it's the norm to be pulled off the water because of, you know, low water, high temps. Um, and just, you know, the ethical needs of, you know, doing what's right and just giving fish a break when it's getting to that point. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it being that bad. It, it's the new norm now. The last couple of years, it's, you know, it's shortened the fishing season, in, in my opinion, because you know, the high heat of the summer, I just won't really bother with it a ton unless I'm doing an alpine lake. And then I just, I'm like, well, I'll just shoot my bow and get ready for you know, hunting season instead. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm, I'm like a spring person now, I guess. And like a trip, I, I, I've turned into more of a social angler. Like I really like to just get together with the girls and like do trips and like long weekends. And that brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. Really? There really isn't. It's just like for three years, all I want to do is fish alone. And now all I want to do is fish with my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, so yeah, tell us about how you became a hunter. How did you become a hunter? Oh, goodness. Well, my hunting story parallels your fishing story. I started hunting, um, the, like the year my mom died, the year before my mom died. Um, and when she passed away, kind of same thing, just dove into it as a coping mechanism to, um, participate in this new activity that brought me a lot of joy and, helped me contemplate the circle of life, um, and got me outside. That's how I started. Wow. Look at that. That little cross, cross Mm -hmm. paths we have of that. Um, nature heals, nature heals. Um, how I started hunting. That's what you asked. Yep. Hmm. I had a really funny podcast. I did about this a couple months ago on my podcast about, uh, from, from, from vegan to a hunter or something. I can't remember the title of it, but that's the gist of it. I got a little bit of hate mail from some folks in New Zealand about like, like PETA animal rights about it. It was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I have hate mail. This is, this is a new, this is so exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like someone's listening to my podcast and getting mad, like in, enough to write me. Um, you know, I started hunting because I found I was sticking around and dating men a little bit longer than I should be because I liked having access to their wild game. Like, <laughs> I, I once stuck around and dated a man longer than I should have for access to the river outside his backyard. I mean, I priorities, priorities. Okay. Like it's it's been it's been a couple years, and I'm very comfortable owning that that part of yep. my story and the journey. And I was realizing I was like, this sucks. Like, like this is stupid. I, I hate depending on anyone for anything. It's it's a thing. I hate asking for help, etc. And I realized I was like, why am I? you know what I'm just gonna do it myself 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to hunt. I learned how to shoot a rifle from one of my girlfriends, Courtney Nicholson. She taught me how to hunt technically, really. And yes. super grateful for that. Um, and that's how it started was just wanting access to meat, honestly. And mm-hmm. like, and then it just became obsessive, you know, and just wanting to be really involved in the whole process of hunting and, you know, self-processing and, you know, all of it. Tell us about your first hunt. It was with, it was supposed to be with Courtney and then she didn't draw. Um, so we were at a hunt to eat industry event after, um, what was it? Like it was a couple years ago and we were at the hunt to eat, uh, founder's house and we were all just like having barbecue and oh, drinks. that's and- their venison diplomacy event. Is that what? Um, it was, it, no, it was like the, it, I don't know if it was outdoor realtors or if it was like, I think it was OR. Yep. So yeah, Vincent diplomacy. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. So um, a, I wasn't. It's a good party. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So, so it was like their wild game barbecue. So, you know, it was all wild game and, and I'm having drinks and I'm like, you know what, Courtney, I'm going to hunt this year. And she's like, okay. It was like June. <laughs> And she's like, have you ever shot a rifle? I was like, no. And she's like, okay. So, you know, she shot, she taught me how to shoot a rifle and I was terrified and like super trigger shy. Like I was really scared of handguns and rifles and I had a lot of doubts that I was going to be able to pull it together and then in enough way to actually be successful and even be able to hunt come October. Um, and it was a pronghorn rifle hunt, um, down in Southern Colorado. I got in touch through a lot of chance happened circumstances. Um, I met a really amazing rancher who's a centurion rancher. So his family's been ranching down, um, in Colorado for about 110 years. And it's like crazy history and stories. I've really become good friends with the family. Um, and his unit, uh, my unit butts up to a lot of his land. And so I asked for, you know, permission to, to hunt his land and paid a trespass fee and, um, just had an amazing hunt, like running around with my friends and I was successful. I had just a doe tag. Um, and I shot a really mature doe antelope that actually had a little bit of like a horn. They had horns on them. Mm, I love that. And I didn't know that that was a thing until it happened. And it was just a really amazing experience. It was like last light and there's a herd that's being pushed down and comes up over the ridge and, you know, they're running and my hunting partner, he's like, well, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to try to stop it. Like I stop a deer. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I mean, I had no idea what I was like about the nitty gritty of hunting. I was being mentored and I was out there basically following along with people's instructions. And sure enough, he kind of pops up and he does like a, like a, a meh stopping sound like you would to a deer. And, you know, this doe is just at the, you know, coming over this ridge and the, this golden hour light. And she kind of does like this three quarter turn and, and, and then I shot her and I just started crying. And I was just like, oh my God, I shot it. Um, it was a super, super emotional experience for me. So, um, but I'll be the first one to say, like, I still, I still get a little teary eyed anytime I take a, take an animal, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Does anybody else? Anyone else? Oh, absolutely. I could. uh, I'm not. Yes. And I think for me, it, it like I'll get verklumped, I guess is the word that I'm looking for, um, for a while afterwards thinking about it. Um, so it's not even just the moment in the field. Um, it, it lasts me for a while that, uh, I mean, it's never as powerful or as emotive as it is when it's in the field, but it, um, the, the strength of the emotion lasts me for a while. Yeah, me too. Like it happens in the field. And then like when I, like, like at the time of shot and then like recovery, and then afterwards, it's like, I don't know, I guess it's just such a full body, full emotion, like sensation. And I think that's what honestly pushes people to hunt in a way for me. Do you say more about that? Like, say more about that? Yeah. Um... I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard to explain the words. It's more of like a, it's just a feeling. It's like, you know, all the preparation and the time and the energy and the money and the resources, you know, you've, you've put a lot of yourself into this experience and into this hunt and, um, you have no control over how it's going to turn out. So, you know, you can, be successful based on your abilities like you know you can hunt you can hike you can you can try all these things but at the end of the day it's kind of up to you know nature and then you know you just have these experiences in the field where like things align you know like you're you're spotting animals and you're 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 seeing things that other people aren't seeing and you're getting good stalks in and you know, the conditions are prime and you, you know, heaven, heaven graces you with a great shot. You have a great shot. And it's just like this culmination of like all of this emotion, you know, the, the frustration and the the highs and the lows of prep and, you know, your weapons and your, your athleticism, it's all that. And then it's like actualized and you're successful and it's just so rewarding and like, I don't know. You like, I don't know when I, when I have a successful hunt like that, or even when I have a successful hunt like that, like, I just feel like I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, without trying to sound ignorant or like, I mean, obviously I'm not going to like jump off a building and try to fly. Like I can't do anything, <laughs> but like, you just feel really <laughs> capable, you know, you feel really capable and also really grateful for the process and for the experience and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. How would you describe it? Just like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like that. Um, I don't know that I have anything to add. Um, like I just, I, I just, I could hunt like Randy Newberg, like, give me your job, man. Like, let me just, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm coming for you, Randy. I, I was like, you know, you need a sidekick. You need like a, another, you know, video editor. Like I'll, I'm coming for it. I'm not really coming for it. I'm not coming for anybody's job, but whatever. No, I'm just laughing. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe that was the real reason behind the move to Montana. 
<laughs> I, you know what? I was listening to one of his pod. I didn't, I, I don't think I really realized that he lived in Montana. Mm. Um, and I was listening to one of his podcasts when I was driving back to Denver recently and I shared it on my Insta stories and he reshared it. And then I, I, I tagged him back and I was like, I was like, Randy, I was like, does this mean we're going to hunt together? And he didn't respond. <laughs> so I, I was like, yeah, probably not. That's probably Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. We love Randy. He's fantastic. He's a I mean, fantastic conservationist and fantastic model of an ethical hunter and just a fantastic person. Just like exactly, exactly what you said. Uh, Sarah Top, how would you describe it? Um, I think that Sarah C. did a beautiful way of describing it. I can definitely relate to a lot of those same experiences, um, especially after this last season. I went through some situations where with my deer hunts, I, um, you know, went through all the preparation ahead of time and the time that you put into waking up much, much earlier than you normally would, or, you know, getting all the gear prepared, taking time to practice shots. Um, went out into the field many, many days in a row with no success, just to still have that burning passion and get out there the next morning and be like, well, the next morning is going to be it. Or the next evening, I'm going to see something that's going to happen. And then I, I did get to actually pull the trigger on a doe. I had a doe tag for the area I was hunting and unfortunately somehow missed the deer, but I still went through those same emotions of taking the shot and thinking that I hit the deer because it reacted in a way where I thought it was hit and I thought that it was going to be a harvest. And then to have that immediate disappointment when you go check the spot of, oh my gosh, I missed, how did this happen? And backtracking all of that. And then still finding the courage and the you know passion to go out yet again the next morning and be like, okay, well, we went through all that and now, uh, now we're going to restart and do it all again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's just, I don't know. It's just everything that you put into it is such a, I think it's a work of art in a sense and definitely a passion for sourcing your own protein. And that's, that's what I do it for. I want to source my own protein. I have a, an interesting connection with food. Um, so putting in the time and the effort in many aspects is really important to me to source my own food and care about it in a way that that it's nourishing my body differently than just going to the grocery store and buying something. That's a lot of the reason why I got into hunting as well. Um, what Sarah was saying was that just having that source of protein, that protein source and knowing where it came from and just like having the, like, I know exactly how that meat was handled. Like it was an honorable hunt. It was ethical. It was done with respect. It was handled well. It was processed and like, my hands are the only hand. It's really cool to eat something and to feed your friends um, when your hands are the only hands that have touched that meat ever. Like that's like a, that's a gift. Like that's a super special experience. And um, I, I don't know. I hope it never, I hope it never gets old for me and, and loses its thrill. Like Sarah was saying, like there are very few things I will wake up at like four thirty four for like 10 days, like in the morning. Like like there's not a lot there, there's not a lot of things where I'm gonna use like, you know, dead downwind crappy products, let my skin and my hair dry out and like not you know, not using like lotions or any of like 
you know, my scented products for like two weeks when I'm at deer camp. Um, and I'll like go through all of that stuff and be sleep deprived and dehydrated because you're not drinking when you're in a tree stand for 10 hours and, and you're not eating. And like, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, why do I like, why do we put ourselves through this so much? But, um, honeymoon is addicting. It's so, it's so, it's so true. And it's so interesting because like you both talk about these absolutely miserable days and we've all had them. I mean, they're just (laughs) miserable. And yet the alarm goes off at four o'clock the next morning and the same level of excitement is, and, and possibility is there. And that's, this is so fun. Oh, that's awesome. I mean like that, like that is living, like that's living, like getting up every morning and just being like, I could stay in bed, but F it, I'm going. And you just like get up and you just like, you don't care what you look like. You don't care what you smell like. You don't care what you're eating, what you're drinking, whatever's going on. You're just putting on stuff, rolling out in the dark. I'll I'll qualify that by saying I do care a lot about the coffee. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I like, I mean, I went, I went so far, like I wasn't taking coffee up into my tree stand or anything, you know, like, do you guys do that? Um, absolutely. So, <laughs> I usually, when I'm sitting in a stand, it's usually at sunset. And so then I cut myself off from all beverages at a certain time <laughs> to mitigate the need to go. But I can see morning. Yeah. Sarah T, Sarah Top, I think I'd be with you. Absolutely. I will do what I need to do to urinate <laughs> however I need to urinate. But the coffee <laughs> is a must. Yep. Uh, let me tell you, I, I have done some interesting things that I thought for sure I'm like well you know there's nothing moving around there's I'm gonna open my squeaky top to the coffee so I can drink it or (laughs) get out of my seat or like I like to sit up against the tree base a lot of times because I I like to be mobile I don't like to carry something and have to relocate it every so often but you know if I have to get to pee I'm just I'm just gonna get up to pee so there's been many times where I got up and did that and thought I disturbed the area for hours. I'm like, okay, great. Nothing's going to be around for hours now. 30 seconds after an experience like that, I'll have a deer come in to my spot. So I am definitely not deterred by having to take a pee break or drink my coffee and enjoy it. We've talked about that on podcasts before where it's like the Murphy's Law of Hunting. If you go to the bathroom, the animal will come. I mean, like (laughs) I was like... I was like sitting high in tree stands a lot during my whitetail season in Michigan last fall. And like, I didn't even know if I'd be able to do it. Cause I'm super scared of heights. I was like, there's no way I'm climbing that tree stand by myself and strapping myself to a tree on this sketchy little base. Like there's just like, you're crazy for <laughs> mentioning this. And for me, I didn't want to be going up and down the tree. Yeah. And I was and like legit, like who I'm, I mean, if anyone is peeing off the tree stand, like squatting, kudos to you in the air. Like if you're squatting in the air, like I definitely did not get to that status last year. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a thing to consider. I have so many follow-up questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, one is how did you talk yourself through getting up in that tree stand? Um, I don't know. Um, I didn't think about it and I just got hyper, hyper focused on grabbing the next handhold or the next foothold. So like I didn't let my mind race or like go beyond 
like what was happening. And I just focused on like the next like tree, the next like prong. Um, that's how I actually physically got up. And when I got there, you know, to the base of the trees, it was, you either go up or you don't hunt. So not hunting was the worst case scenario that was not an option so I was like well there's no other option but to go up the deer are in this area most prevalently there are lower tree stands there are lower like you know stands but they haven't been productive so it was kind of just like there's this one tree stand this was all on my ex's like whitetail ranch out in Michigan whitetail property there's this one tree stand that they called the sniper and it was so high it felt so high it wasn't that high but it was it felt high um and you know I I don't know I just that's where all the deer were coming through it was by the creek and I don't know you just the excitement of what you're going to see up there I think is what gets me up mm-hmm. uh, and my second question is have either of you ever tried a shiwi Mm-mm. no yes yes okay. yeah. do you do you care to share no is perfectly fine answer yeah so I was gifted one oh gosh maybe six years ago now uh it was supposed to be like a gag gift at the time <laughs> and you're like this is so useful yeah like literally know, gag like, gifts turn into the best gifts right I was like yes I can't wait to try this <laughs> So I tested it um, in a shower at a time just to see, like, oh my god, you know, how it went. <laughs> it, it didn't go well at all. <laughs> I was like, this is this is not designed to just like use out of the package right away. Mm. So it turns out there's some like tailoring to specific needs and shapes and sizes. But mm. um, yeah, I, I was a little bit scared of it after that. Um, but did did some. Uh, <laughs> did some maneuvers and it's it's useful it's not it's not my go-to though okay it's a lot easier to just squat where you are yeah Mm -hmm. do you use it in tree stands if you're tree standing (laughs) I haven't hunted out of a tree stand in years honestly okay um but I would and I'm actually disappointed that I never thought to just squat and pee out of a tree stand now (laughs) that you mentioned it Sarah (laughs) I mean like I mean I mean, we do yeah. it in boats, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you got to go and you don't want to get down, I mean, I'm thinking about the stands <laughs> I was in. I would just drop trowel and like stand on the grates. But that, like, even to me, I mean, yeah, I would I'd, <laughs> I'd rather not. But you, you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I mean, people use like, is it like, legal to use like the dopey in places i think it depends on where you are i mean Mm -hmm. is is like you know is if you pee out of a tree stand does it have the same effect like is it going to be helpful like it might encourage you i mean i don't know we don't need to go down that rabbit hole but food for thought it just made me think of it yeah i would think again i've never tried this tactic or looked into it but i think it would be more of a deterrent just because of the human smell of it human smell yeah Probably. Although I will say, like I mentioned earlier, it hasn't ruined any of my immediate hunts right. that I'm aware of. Actually. Exactly. It was like, you know, taking a break to pee, like just feet away from where I'm sitting and still will have something walk right into where I expect it to. There have been so many times where I've been literally hooking my bow into the 
little pulley to lower it from the tree stand. And I'm moving around and I'm getting ready to call it after no activity for like five hours. And like half a dozen times, it's when like, you know, a deer just walks right in front of me. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm like scrambling to pull my bow back up. But it's always like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm calling it a day. I'm, I'm unstrapping from the tree. I'm moving around. I'm getting ready to come down. And sure enough, they just come right through at that point. It's, it's Darwin. <laughs> it's it's true. I've I've learned those lessons by now that I've I've I used to be really scared of the dark and I'm still scared of the dark. So I always ended my hunt with enough time to get back to where I needed to be before it was pitch black out or before I needed to use a light of any sort. Um obviously that that's cut a significant time of my hunt short. And in recent years I've definitely appreciated the fact that I will see deer two minutes before shooting light ends. Yeah, like that could be my opportunity if it were the right deer. Um, so yeah, I've I've talked myself out of those times where I'm like, well, nothing's around. I'm just going to end it now. And it's so, that's truly wait until the last minute. It's always during the after the morning hunt where I'm like, okay, it's like eleven o'clock in the morning. Nothing's moved since like six. I'm done, and it's always then when they start to move. But then what you just talked about, like, let's talk about how scary it is sometimes to like, you've been in the woods all by yourself in a tree stand or around a tree stand and you're coming down and you got to walk out in the dark alone. And I always get the heebie-jeebies. Like I hate walking out in the dark as well. Like it scares, it scares me too. So. Yeah. And you mentioned Michigan. I'm actually in Michigan. I, I live in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Which is amazing. Um, where I hunt there's wolves that howl me out at night so I definitely I'm a little bit cautious at dark time around that area but yeah, that's I don't a, see anything that I'll have to be afraid of the dark yeah <laughs> that's that's a whole different world up there when I was there I was like in the Canadian Lakes area so wasn't up it wasn't the UP and there were no predators mm -hmm. so it was it was nice like there was a novelty that there aren't any predators there really to really worry about um and that's actually it was that situation that you were describing, like right before last light, like that's when I shot my doe last year, um, on like the last day. And it was a nice, you know, I, it was a nice doe. So I was just happy to get something at that point, but it was like, mm -hmm. right. You know, it's, that's, it's such great hunting is like, right, right up to last light. So yeah. True story. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think like, I don't, I, I'll, I usually, Sarah, I'm with you. I'll, cut and, and by that I mean both of you I'll cut my hunt short um <laughs> so I'm not uh processing alone in the dark um it's interesting but that is oftentimes the best opportunity yeah mm -hmm. yeah I would be terrified if I actually harvested a deer minutes before dark and then had to process it in the field in the dark I would just anticipate that something is going to be coming after me any second during that whole process. <laughs> and of course, noises are louder in the dark. So every, Absolutely. <laughs> every twig snap. Yeah. Well, it's a whole different, I mean, it's a whole different world when you have predators, mm -hmm. <laughs> like when you're hunting in a place where there's a predator, like, you know, I, I shot that doe before last light and we looked for it for like five or 10 minutes, quickly called it. Thankfully it was getting down super chilly at night. So we knew we were just going to have to come back, but you know, in a place where there are a lot of predators, like you kind of can't do that. 
or mm-hmm. you can't you you can if you have to obviously but it's not like for me it was an easy decision like it was like okay you know what it's like i'm just going to have to come back um but yeah with a predator it's a it's a different world this year hunting in montana is just going to be like a huge learning curve for me so i'm a little yeah, yeah. <sighs> if you want to go hunting near Ovando, call me don't go there without somebody to watch your back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not hunting in Orfando, are you? I, it's one of my favorite places, and I've hesitated to go there because of the, the, the robust grizzly population. I won't hunt there alone. Um, I'll, I'll hunt there with you. See, there you go. Then you can watch my back, <laughs> and I'll watch your back, and it'll be good. Awesome. Yeah. Follow me if you need backup. Okay. Well, we're gonna. So <laughs> just plan on it. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is a lovely conversation and I um, could go on for a long time, but I want to talk about Find Your Strong. What is, tell us about Find Your Strong. Um, so, oh, my business. Um, are you sure we can just talk about hunting all day? I'm kidding. We, <laughs> <laughs> we can if you'd rather. No, 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 totally no. So, call. well, my, you know, my business is great because it really carries over into my life and vice versa. My life carries over into my business. Um, and I think that that is like a really fortunate situation that I've found myself in after years and years and years of hard work, which is, you know, um, when I started my business strength and nutrition coaching, um, I was working with like really injured endurance athletes and just helping them be able to compete. And, while building up my social media presence and working with business coaches over the years, you know, there's always a handful of things that you share about yourself on your social media. That's a business, a business, social media. There's a handful of things you're going to share about yourself so that people get to know, like, and trust you. And those things I decided to share were fishing, the outdoors, which eventually led to hunting. And so what that then did was attracted a big population of my clients that are, also really passionate about those things. So when I say like my life feeds my business, my business feeds my life, like a lot of my clients are like professional fly fishing guides, or, you know, they, they are professional fly casters on some of the U S teams, or they're, they're guides for hunting or fishing or raft guides. Um, like a lot of them have outdoor careers or extremely high hobbies and pursuits. So the more that I do those things in actuality, like in real life and, you know, I'm traveling around and meeting clients that I train virtually and hanging out with girlfriends that fish. And I'm sharing those things on my, on my social media. Like it, it just feeds, it feeds each other. So I get to work with clients I love because they're high achieving, super outgoing, like focused individuals, you know, they have goals and they want to achieve them with their bodies, with their health and with their lives and with their hobbies and like where, how they spend their time. And that just is super fun for me. Um, and you know, everyone needs a strong and capable body and that looks different for everybody. So, you know, I know ultimately what it takes for, for people to get accomplished in their goals And 
I just allow them to find their way a little bit. So I don't force myself down people's throats. Like I don't force a plan down them. I know the solution and I'm going to eliminate steps one through eight and just give you nine and 10 to do. But ultimately, if you need to figure out some things on your own, like I give you grace. Like, I'm not like, no, you have to do this. And like, you're going to suffer if you don't do it. You know, like I, you know, like there's just such this bad stigma with like the fitness and nutrition industry where it's like, really cutthroat and no excuses and ignore your body and who cares if you don't want to do it do it anyways like this just like suck it up and do it mentality and it just doesn't work for people um so you know I just try to make sure my folks are empowered to utilize the tools that I give them and that we work to develop together so that they can have a really strong, functional, confident life. If that means they feel good to like stand in front of a boardroom and like present, that's what their strong is for them. If they need to hike a mountain, like I had a, a client who just hiked Mount Whitney and she was training for it and prepared for it because she just wanted to have a really good hike, you know, and she's super scared of heights and she went and hiked, you know, the biggest mountain in the U.S. I think Mount Whitney is, isn't it? I honestly don't know. I think it is. I don't, geography's not my strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so she, and she went and hiked, you know, Mount Whitney. And so everyone is just applying their strength and their health in a different way. So yes, I have the formula, but the application is unique to the individual. And that's, what's really cool about what I do. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's also, it's also a ton of work, um, to have your own business and, Um, but I'm, 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 I'm incredibly fortunate and grateful for where I'm at, what I've worked for and what it's given me in my life. And then I have the opportunity to somehow, I have no idea. I do have a lot of ideas. Somehow I have the opportunity to impact people's lives, which is just crazy. You know, like it's, that's crazy, but I, I, I don't take it for granted and I love my clients and I love what I do. So I've got a lot of long-winded answers tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we we love long-winded answers here on the Artemis podcast. Um, uh, what? So I'm not quite sure how to phrase the question that's forming in my head, but I think it's interesting that you work with so many um, hunters and anglers, and I'm curious uh, if you've noticed. Um, I guess the two-part question is, how is it hard on us? And what are the uh, tips and suggestions you have for caring for our bodies with our hobbies? Oh, like how is it hard? How is like hunting and angling hard on the body? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, for for my fishing folks, it's a little bit different. You know, like my guides are trying to work on things that are opposite to what they do. So like guides and boats are redoing the same movements, you know, all day, every day. So when I work with them, we're working on the opposite of what they're using because they've got really big imbalances, which can just lead to tightness and aches and pains and stuff like that. So, you know, that, you know it's going to be a hard, that's a hard question to answer just because it's going to be really different to each population. So, you know, the folks that are rowing, we're going to do opposites of what they do when they're rowing. So, and that's important for them. And then like, I've got girls that cast like on the, you know, casting teams and stuff. And we're working on really specific, like forearm and core and rotation 
international movements. Like it's so niched. It's kind of boring to probably talk about on like a podcast. Um, and then, you know, I can, I can talk personally with like my physique and like my training when it comes to like strength training, carrying over into the field. And like, honestly, like I try to lift legs as much as possible so that like I can hike and I can carry weight and it's not going to kill my legs. It's not going to kill my core. It's not going to kill my back. So, you know, I think that hunting, um, in particular, in my opinion, can really like you can come out of the field after a day and you just feel like wrecked like you Mm -hmm. can feel really you can feel really worn down uh, like from movement but then also from just time in the field so my answer to everybody into everything is always going to be the lift weights and depending on what we have coming up in their timeline like is going to dictate how I manipulate programming to give them specific areas of focus um you know, it's different for my triathletes. It's different for my, my girls that are hiking, you know, Mount Whitney. It's different for my boat guides. Like right now, my boat guides, they're in their season. So they're in a maintenance mode. Like my boat guides are not trying to do any major work. We're trying to maintain and prevent them from becoming sore and and injured. And so it's not the time for them to push anything right now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not in a season. My hunting season's coming up. So this is a time in which you push your body to train for its essential, essentially it's test, it's test, it's hunting season. So the successes that you experience then are really being made now by just time under tension, time under tension, lifting, 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 and just getting your body kind of accustomed to really specific amounts of stress that are going to be applied once you get into the field. So, um, and then I feel, I feel like the more you do that now, the more prepared you are for it to have an enjoyable hunt, the less hurtful, the less hurt you're going to be, the less tired and sore, you're still going to have them, but you're going to just be able to manage them a lot more, which is the goal, you know? That's one thing I'm appreciating about this conversation is the focus on functionality and longevity, uh, in the way that you talk about, um, strength and capacity. Yeah. You know, I don't, I was having a conversation about this the other day. Like I don't do that shit where it's just like, let's do, I don't even know. Let, let's do some stuff that doesn't really help me long-term, but it makes me look good right now. Like it's, that's just not my jam. It's, it's a waste of my time and my time is money. And my time is also like, it's either money for my clients or it's my time of my life that I want to be doing things that bring me joy. And then it's my client's time and their money and their life and their body. So like, I literally am not going to teach anyone anything that they cannot sustain for five to 10 years, first and foremost, because it's a waste of time and money. Second, if you don't enjoy it, it's not going to be sustainable. And then third, if it's not performing function in your life, it's not worth, it's not, it's not right for you. Like if it's not helping you live a stronger, like life in whatever way that looks for you, it's not what you should be doing. And so that's why everybody has a unique approach to what they need. At the end of the day, most of us, all of us really do need to strength train in some capacity, but like my 67 and 70 year old clients, they strength train in a totally different way than my 20 year old athletes do. (laughs) But the 60 and 70 year olds, they need it. They need it so much. And, you know, the 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 year olds that I have 
what they're doing is going to make sure that when they're 70, they're more stable and they're not falling and they're not breaking hips and they can pick up their grandkids, you know? So, you know, I had a really crazy, awesome conversation about this with a a chiropractor like two years ago on a podcast about just like, you know, you're given, you have one body, you have one physical vehicle for your entire life and how you treat it is going to directly impact the quality of your life. Like your, your daily happiness is linked to your physical body. People that have chronic pain, chronic injuries, they suffer and they have a lot of hardship to overcome. Like the way that you treat your body is critical to how you show up in your life every day. And, um, I mean, I give, I give thanks to God every day that I'm like able-bodied and pain-free, like, and I can move my body and function and my body puts me in the mountains to hunt. Like it's such a blessing. Long answer. I want to introduce you to my dad <laughs> who lives in Montana as well um, and is 73 years old and has recently talked about starting to run and starting to mountain bike. Um, and all of these are fantastic things. And he's always been a, a pretty healthy, um, uh, you know, fit person. His, his, he's always been very active. Um but he's older now and I worry. I mean, like, (laughs) like, like my, my knee jerk reaction at 73 starting to run and mountain bike. Those are both super high impact activities. There's nothing wrong with them, but like, you've got to have some base of some stuff so you don't get injured. And when you're, when you're a little bit older, you're a little bit more prone to injury. And so, yeah, I don't know if you watch my Instagram stories. I have like a I have like a, a long-term client in there. His name is Joe and he's like, he's like 70 and he's just this, I've had, I've been with him for like five, he's been with me for like five years. He's an amazing old man. I call him old man because he calls me a pain in his ass and he, (laughs) you know, he bribes me with bottles of wine. He's like, don't be so mean to me today. Have some wine from Italy. And I'm like, okay. Like, you know, um, we have just a really, we have a really, really close relationship because we've been through a lot together in terms of our health and our body. And I've watched him go through a lot. Um, but you know, the way that I make him lift is, is progressed from, over, over the past four or five years. And he's super strong and fit and healthy and he's a hoot. And I love, I love my, I, I call them my old guys. And I say that lightly and like jokingly, um, because they just, they're fun. So yeah, make sure your dad doesn't get himself hurt. I mean, come on, don't, don't be crazy out there on that bike and running and hurting himself. Yep. Oh, I'm serious. I'm going to introduce you to him. And if you have room for new clients, <laughs> I strongly recommend that one. It's, uh, a, it's a little full right now, but okay. I, 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 I've got jams. You've got to go check out Joe. You've got to, you've got to stalk my, my stories until you see him because he is, you'll see him and you might laugh and think about your dad. Cause I wonder if they're one in the same. Uh, they sound like they're cut from the same cloth. That's for sure. Cool. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll, we'll be right back. Um, but we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sibling podcast, which is the NWF Outdoors podcast. It's hosted by Aaron Kindle, who is the director of sporting advocacy for the National Wildlife Federation. And as we like to call him, the OG art of man. Uh, so here's a word from Aaron <laughs> and we will be right back. 
Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts and at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Sarah Top, did you have any questions for Sarah C before we head to hits and misses? Oh my gosh, I feel like I could, we could have an entire other podcast just delving into your work, Sarah, and how you personally tie that with, I guess, where your history came from to where you got there. I'm I'm super curious about that, but that sounds like a whole other podcast (laughs) to get into that conversation. Um, Mostly, I just want to say kudos to you for having the experience and mindset you do and for sharing that with everybody, um, particularly in regards to being on a, a more functional scale rather than, you know, following those you know, fab diets and stuff and recommending those to people. So thank you for putting it out there. Well, thank you. I, it's, you know, um, it's really easy to just like get caught up in my business and like doing what I do. And it's, it's, it's a good opportunity right now to kind of just like, and it's also a little thankless. I, you know, like I don't have a boss. It's like, good job, you know, like here's your performance review. Good job. You know? And so, um, (laughs) I, um, I, I, I think it's a huge privilege to be able to, um, do what I do with my clients. And, um, sometimes it's important to take a step back and be like, okay, this is how far you've come and this is what you've done. And, and yeah, like I said, I'm just super fortunate and I'm really grateful. And, um, I, I don't have time for crap with my clients and my clients don't have time for crap either. So that's my, I guess those are some like last words with, with that is just, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to like, if you're trying to figure something out with your health and your body and your lifestyle right now, you know, like, you've got to make sure it's something that you can be doing for forever. And if it's not something you can do forever, it's not worth your time and your money. You know, like those, like, Oh, I mean, I've got, I have so many people that have come to me and they've been like, I was trying to, um, do these workouts that were like an hour and a half. And I did them for five days and I was eating 1200 calories. And I'm just like, how'd you feel? And they're like, well, I was really tired. I was like, so you felt like shit, right? I was like, you want to feel like shit for the next five years? Like, no, it's not going to work. So, you know, I, I do a lot of damage control and cleanup, I should say. So hopefully over the years, and as we all progress and learn more about our bodies and our health and functionality, like hopefully like there's such a trend on like strong functional bodies now that I'm hoping that like it just stupid, stupid fad diets and like fat loss and just, I hope all that stuff just dies down and like is a thing of the past, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I'm, I'm glad there's people like you out there pushing that message and actually living it and sharing it with everybody. Thanks. Sarah, where can we find you? 
Well, on the interweb is usually a really good place. Instagram and Facebook, find your strong with Sarah. It's pretty easy. Um, and Sarah's without an H. And then um, that's that's usually the best way. I mean, you can go to the website, but no one can spell my name. So it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> and my website, sarahkmissioni.com. So that's a little tricky, but, you know, um, Instagram and Facebook are usually a great place to start. Or the podcast, find your strong podcast with Sarah. Awesome. And Sarah's also a new Artemis ambassador here in Montana. So I look forward to doing a couple of events with you. That's going to be really fun. Me too. Let's do all the events. I want to do them all. I want to do events all the time. I, I learned, I realized today, um, I had a handful of clients I was working with that were like really kind of new. And so we're like teaching, teaching. I have a background in teaching. I love to teach is what today kind of reminded me is just I love to teach I love events so let's do them I you love to teach I love to teach oh It'll just be a real good time oh adding a <laughs> Moscow mule into that teaching oh, environment and I'm heaven. I'll never want to leave. and like Flynn yep or if we're honest I mean I'll also take a PBR <laughs> I'm not picky <laughs> I'm picky. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay. Hits and misses, our weekly closer. Actually, let me backtrack. Uh, I usually ask our guests, Sarah, if there's anything else you wanted to mention before we do hits and misses. Nope. I've talked enough. Let's, let's do the hit or miss. <laughs> All right. Uh, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? I'm going to do it. Triceratop. You go first. <laughs> All right. I think I've done misses on the last couple podcasts, but this week I actually have a hit. I, on on the trend of sourcing my own food and protein, I picked up four hen chickens this week. So pretty excited about that. They're just under two weeks old now. Super stinking cute. They're occupying my guest bathroom (laughs) (laughs) until they're big enough to move them out to the coop. Do you have a coop Um, coop set up already? Yeah, so this house I bought actually had a coop already mostly set up. I had to do some final touches on it, like add a door to the outdoor space, and um, I'll need to predator-proof it. It's it's a little bit too large of wire, so I need to put the chicken wire on it to make sure no weasels or small critters are going to try and get in. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited to have egg-laying hens. So I'll have, if they're productive, I'll have four eggs a day. Nice. What are their names? Have you named them yet? I have. I went with comic characters and one from Lord of the Rings. So it's Domino, Arwen, (laughs) Rogue, and Elektra. Oh, wow. That's perfect. I just learned learned (laughs) so much about you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that's that's my truth right there. (laughs) It's all wonderful. We'll have another podcast about that too. <laughs> um, I had another question. What was it? Oh, I have a really um so if if like if your path goes the way my path did, you will suddenly find yourself awash in so many eggs you won't know what to do with them. I have a really <laughs> awesome um homemade uh ravioli recipe with spinach. Mm. And I like baking I, I am ravioli. all for it. It's so therapeutic. I just it's one of my favorite things. I once made 
like four dozen um, for my friend's entire family um, after she had a baby. So mm. <laughs> oh, that's I a good idea. Highly recommend it. Like like making the pasta for it as well. Mm-hmm. Like everything yep. from scratch. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. From scratch. I have I have my grandmother's pasta roller now, so I'm oh, perfect. Just dying to try it. Yep. And there's this, I mean, this is off topic for sure um, for the Artemis podcast, <laughs> but there's this delightful YouTube channel. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like um, Italian grandmas making pasta. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it quite highly. <laughs> there's like a lot Perfect. of, um, I, I have a, I have some of my clients do this like prosciutto wrapped egg frittata recipe where you mm. use like a cupcake dish with like 12 cupcake things then you basically like put omelets together and you make all these frittatas. It's a really good way to use up a bunch of eggs too. Mm. And they're delicious. But I think the ravioli is a better, Marcia, you've got me on that one. So. Well, do both. Why not? <laughs> yep. right? Do cool. both. <laughs> if, you've, if you've got all the eggs, you're probably going to be needing to do it all. So. Yep. <laughs> cool. And more ideas where these came from, Sarah. So <laughs> just let me know when you need them. Wonderful. Yes, uh, I will. Hopefully this fall. <laughs> cool. Uh, Sarah C, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some weeks are um, like that. <laughs> I mean, like, there's been so much, you know, like, I just, like, packed up and moved and, you know, I'm, I'm summering in a travel trailer. So every week I feel like I'm winning in the fact that I'm able to like figure out how to run a business remotely from a travel trailer and like nothing's burning on fire and like everyone's alive. The dog is happy. So I feel really like that's like just, just existing like that is a win right now. Um, I think, uh, a really good win though would be when I did go back down to Denver recently I was able to transport up a bunch of game that I thought had been ruined. And so I actually had some uh, summer brats and some salami for the first time um, of like my meat. Um, so I had a game freezer that we thought we lost and it it didn't it didn't spoil. And I transported the meat up here and I had some for the first time this week. And it was it made me very happy. I was like super, super stoked that it didn't make me sick. Um, because, well, because like, I didn't, I didn't know if it had spoiled, honestly, like it was, it was, it was a gamble. It was a game. It it was, you know, the freezer lost a little bit of service, unclear on how long it had lost service. And I was like, you know what, this salami, these brats, they've been cooked, they've been processed. So I'm going to go for it. And, um, this is, I don't know, random, but I ate them all and I didn't get sick. And so it was a huge win. And I was like, I can eat this meat and it's amazing. I was just so happy. It was, it was making me sick to think that the meat was spoiled. So, um, it was a pretty mm. good win. I'm, I'm really happy that, that I was able to salvage that meat and enjoy it still. That's a huge win. Congratulations. And, mm-hmm. uh, way to be brave. <laughs> I like yeah. sent out an S- hey. I sent out I sent out like an SOS text. I was like, "Hey, just so you know, friends, I'm a, I'm about to eat this meat. I'm pretty sure it's still good, but if I like, we check on me in like two hours. Yep. I'm I, I'm sure when you said be brave, you weren't you were referencing maybe my lifestyle, but I was I was yeah, referencing I was I was the referencing meat. the meat. <laughs> I mean, the lifestyle for sure, but no, I was, because we've all been there, right? I mean, we've all been in this, like, can I, is this good enough to eat? Um, Okay, uh, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I know I have. Okay. 
Good. Um, I'm glad I'm not alone on that. I felt yeah. like really, I felt real tore up about it. So yeah, a huge win. Super pumped about that. And I'm going to go fish the Missouri for a couple of days and float the Missouri for a couple of days this week. And I'm really pumped. I'll be able to take like some salami and brats and, you know, feed my friends. So big win. That sounds fantastic. Very cool. Uh, so my, I'm just going to, my hit is short and sweet. I moseyed and it was an honest to God mosey, um, up the trail this weekend. Uh, it took me, um, four hours to do a four mile round trip, um, because it was punctuated by picking huckleberries and picking thimbleberries <sighs> and service berries. And then, you know, dipping into these beautiful pools of water and, um, and, just you know i borrowed like my i was with some friends who had tenkara rods so like trying that out and these catching these tiny browns so i highly recommend a mosey every once in a while like oftentimes i just get out there and um you know i'm i'm always out there to see what i can see but i'm also out there to um exercise uh, and to get my heart rate up and this was just a delightful little trip down slow lane that is awesome and definitely save a mosey for me. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> I can take you on the mosey with the huckleberries. They were uh, just starting yeah. last weekend. They will be gangbusters soon. Yes, please. Okay. It's a date. Uh, Sarah and Sarah, thank you so much for this lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. It was a delightful way to spend an evening. Thank you for the opportunity. I thank definitely agree. Thank you. <laughs> Got some good laughs and yeah, some good motivation. Yeah, it was awesome chatting with you both. And yeah, I love chatting with you. I could sit here and talk for like three hours about hunting. So next time you want to do that, hit me okay. up. Let's talk. What are you doing next weekend? I mean, what are you doing after this? <laughs> right? <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks to our listeners for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Get out and mosey. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Get outside.